Hi, you're listening to The Comedian's Tea Party with Cy Deeves. Fair warning, this podcast may contain adult content. It may not. I don't know. I never really have a plan. Let's listen on and find out. Hello, tea fans, non-tea fans, comedy fans, and all the above, and everyone else. How are you? Welcome back. This episode, I have got for you a wonderful chat with the absolutely incredible and infinitely interesting Matt Green. He is an incredible comedian. If you haven't seen him, you really need to go and check him out. Check him out, especially where he's, he's putting out loads and loads of content on YouTube. There'll be links for that towards the end they'll also be on the podcast description just search Matt Green comedy and you will find him well worth it very funny now first and foremost an apology to Matt in the same vein as the last episode with Rob Glenister which a lot of people listen to so thanks very much for coming back to it because as you may well know that was after a, a, a quite a hefty period off and that was due to uh, sort of many things you know buying a house promotion at work getting just generally busy in life and some other news and such but thank you for bearing with me thank you very much to matt for coming on this episode because it was it was, it was really enjoyable i really liked it and uh, like he was in garth Marenghi's dark place which is one of my favorite shows of all time which is it's very niche but if you like it you like it you know the people that like it you love it so if you don't know it and you think you like weird comedy go and see it because it is absolutely hilarious i think it's still available on 4od not sure worth looking into we talk about all sorts we talk about online gigs that happened during the lockdown because oh we recorded this back in july is it july i think it's july it was a good while ago this is how long it's been so it's been a long time coming but i've got i've got around to doing it eventually i am getting into the swing of it now we're getting some recordings done i'm organizing some very good guests for the coming months so be excited for that. Should be a few coming out over the next uh, couple of months. So I'm excited to bring you those. But online gigs certainly more relevant at the time. Lockdown's getting a bit tighter, maybe. the You know, there's a lot of restrictions coming in. So maybe online gigs will be coming back. So worth bearing in mind. I now have a, a very good camera. And uh, Matt Green's always had a good one. So lovely stuff. I actually, he suggested I buy the one that I've got. So it's thanks to him. I will look so good at the online gigs that you will be watching. We uh, we have quite an interesting chat. I think it's interesting anyway. Certainly if you are of a, a similar sort of uh, awkward sort of personality as myself and Matt Green. Because we talk about learning to be dominant in gigs as a, if you will, beta male. Because it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible to own those people whilst placing yourself below some of them. Not below though, because, you know, obviously... Obviously, we're better. We know that. You know that. But it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting game. But if you are of that mindset, then maybe it'll help you. We also talk about how pay-what-you-want gigs are worth the money that you should be paying for them. They're you know they're brilliant. They're a brilliant model for fringes and, and festivals because it makes it more accessible for everyone really, and it also means that those more wealthy are able to pay more if they wish to. Speaking of pay-what-you-want gigs. The tickets for my Leicester show, well, I've got two Leicester shows, they are on sale. And when I say on sale, it is pay what you want. So they're available to 
reserve and you can do so for money and if you want to reserve them now you can turn up in Leicester and I will have a card machine I've just got one of those got a card machine and I will have a hat that you can put some money in so have no fear just come and see the show it's coming together really well and i'm excited to bring it to you so that is going to be on the 17th and 18th of february check the dates it's comedy-festival.co.uk i think or something like that find my link tree that's the new thing linktree.com uh, well linktr.ee forward slash side eaves or just go to sideeaves.com it's on there we also talk about the uh oatly barista oat milk and I suggested I was going to get in touch with them and they're going to send me some stuff and I did that and they are so I'll be trying that soon it's quite a long episode so I'm not going to keep going with this intro for too long I just want to say thanks for coming back and listening please go and buy tickets for my Leicester show enjoy the show it's a good one see you at the end hello how are you doing? All right, yeah, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, man. And so do you record this, like, do you use it visually as well as audio? Or no, no, the... just audio. No, just the audio. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Any attempt that right. I've made to dress up nicely is is just for you. <laughs> good to know. So I've just taken my tea bag out. I don't normally have normal tea on this, but I've got uh, I've, I've got some English breakfast sent to me from a company called Good and Proper Tea, and uh, mm. I thought I'd, I'd give it a go, so... I've not I've not tried it yet. I've tried a few of their other ones, which are very good. But uh, yeah, um, I'll let you know how it is when I try that. It's currently too warm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've just I've just poured my tea as well, so I'm waiting for it to cool down a bit. Yeah. What have you got? Well, as it's a tea podcast, and I've I've gone quite boring these days. I've gone into sort of decaf teas and things. Oh, okay. Um, but I thought as it's you know I'd push the boat out, and I actually. About, I don't know, maybe three years ago, I decided to get one of those, um, well, no, my wife bought me one of these um, infusers oh, yeah. for like loose leaf tea. So um, partly because it was fun and partly because it's sort of slightly environmental thing of not wanting to, you know, use tea bags too much and stuff. Um, so I went on and bought a few different teas and I bought a sort of slightly crazy one, which oh. I quite like, but it's one that you can't really drink a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you have it once or twice, but it's it's called... The Wittard's Covent Garden Blend. Oh, I wonder if and I've got that. There's a friend of mine nice. bought me a load of Wittard tea for Christmas, and uh, I've got a few different ones in there. So what it is, it turns out, is basically tea with flowers in it. Yeah. And it's, it's actually really nice. It's, got, it's quite sort of aromatic, and it's got that sort of slightly, yeah, sweet, slightly aromatic-y smell, and it tastes really nice. But I've, I've been sort of experimenting with it. I think it works better without milk, so I'm going to have it without milk. Oh, okay. Uh, and, what uh, what's in it? What are the ingredients? It's it's basically black tea, and then it's inspired. It says inspired by the sights and scents of Covent Garden Market. It's basically got marigold, safflower, and cornflower petals. Oh, and it's it smells a bit like sort of peach and apricot. It's got that sort of slightly fruity smell. Oh, nice. Um, and it's really nice, but it is a bit like the equivalent of it's it's like the tea equivalent of um uh, like fruit beer, right? You know, okay. something like fruly or something where you have one of them or a peach. I had a member have a peach beer a few years ago where I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. And then you have two and you're like, this is too much. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's too sweet and it's kind of a bit weird. But like just one is really nice. So I'll have one cup of this and then probably not have it again for a month. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Matthew Crosby had one that he got from a, a shop down the road from him, but he didn't have an infuser. So he just put the loose leaves directly into his cup uh, yeah. and kept choking on it. Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that's yeah, if you don't have something, you need something either either a infuser or one of those little uh, things that stops it, that you can sort of pour through. Yes, like, I'm trying to think what the yeah filter the, uh, thing yeah like a you know, it's like a little sieve, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's probably just called a sieve actually. Tea sieve. It makes sense. Yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a loose leaf teapot, which is quite nice. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I used to have one of those, but I think I, I think I got rid of it eventually because I was just wasn't using it. Yeah. Well, I wasn't using it much until uh, my wife bought me a loose leaf advent calendar. Oh wow! So like every every day you opened it up and there's new loose leaf tea in there. It's very good. You know you're an adult when you're getting tea in an advent calendar. Yeah, I was a big fan of that actually. It was uh, <laughs> it's the sort of thing. I mean, I still had a chocolate one. It was fine, but um, yeah. A, I, I certainly had more interest in trying a new tea every day than uh, the, yeah. the, than the, the same chocolate that I've had for the last <laughs> 36 years of my life. Indeed. I mean, I probably didn't have chocolate when I was a baby, but you know, you get the gist. So uh, how have you been? I've been all right, actually. Yeah, um, I've been fine. I think we're we're now into week two or three of unlocking, total unlocking. And yeah. I've been doing a few gigs here and there and still doing some online gigs as well. And been been basically quite busy the last two or three weeks which has been a nice oh, that's good. change of pace it's been you know up and down during lockdown and stuff but yeah it's you know I've, I've found stuff to do and found stuff to keep busy but yeah the last couple of weeks has actually been genuinely properly busy which has been uh, a bit of a treat yeah that's good i mean how how were you through the uh, pandemic i try not to talk about it too much but you know it comes up it's it's been the last year and a half of our lives hasn't it yeah I mean, you can't really get away from it yeah i would think i was all right i i think i um I think I think maybe like a lot of people, the first month or so, I just sort of found it all a bit mad and a bit kind of, but also kind of exciting in a way. And that sort of like, this is a whole, this is an incredible experience that yeah. none of us were ever expecting to have to go through. And we're living through history, living through history, and and the feeling of like we're all in it together and doing Zoom calls with all of our friends together and seeing family on Zoom, people, you know, talking to people I haven't seen for ages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because suddenly there's a kind of reason to get in touch and. And then going on these sort of walks that, you know, you're only allowed to go out for half an hour a day. So you have to go out for at least half an hour a day and all that kind of stuff. And I I'd found myself doing a lot of, you know, again, all the cliche stuff. I, I did a lot of cooking, a lot of um, reading. I sort of, I found myself, like I had a whole pile of books that I just built up over the years of not, that I hadn't read and yeah. just sort of worked my way through a lot of that. And it was just quite nice feeling like I didn't have anything. I didn't have to do anything because there wasn't anything to do. Like there were no gigs, there were no online gigs, there was nothing. Yeah. All the gigs got cancelled. All my acting work that I had in the diary got cancelled. All my writing stuff felt kind of irrelevant because there wasn't anything happening. And then it probably was about a month in that I started going, maybe I should do something. <laughs> you know, <something laughs> yeah. And started kind of making little videos and sharing them on Twitter and and on YouTube and, yeah. and on Facebook and stuff. And then that became kind of really a really good sort of project of just like trying to do as much of that as I could. And it, I didn't do it. I didn't start off immediately doing loads of it. I just sort of did one or two and a couple more. And then I sort of left it for a bit and did a bit more. Yeah. But slowly as I did it, the more I did it, the more I thought, actually, this is quite a good, good thing to do. And um, people were kind of enjoying them. And I felt like I was beginning to get more followers and more viewers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and then I started doing online shows as well, like doing Zoom gigs, which again, initially I was like, I don't really know if I want to do this. It feels like a weird thing. Yeah. But having, you know, once I did the first two or three, which were a bit ropey, I kind of got through them. And then I did one that was really good and had loads of people there and they were all laughing and it was fun. Nice. And I was like, oh, this is 
this is just like a normal gig now you know yeah and then I, yeah, in the I early days there, there were no real audience at those things were there, there was, it was just uh <laughs> talking into a room yeah and, uh, well the problem was i think in the early days no one quite knew how to use zoom and so people were sort of having everyone muted or yeah make everyone turn their cameras off i did one early one where like everyone had their cameras off and everyone was muted and it was just bleak <laughs> it's just yeah. like talking into a wall for a half you know for 10 minutes and then stopping and then you get the occasional comments sort of like lol or something like, like this, is, <laughs> this is not enough you know? yeah I, I need more than this if i'm going to keep doing this but then i did one for um a guy a scottish act called des mclean who runs okay. some lovely gigs up in Scotland, which I've never done, but he got in touch with me because he'd seen that I was doing something on Zoom or something. And he he ran this gig pretty much all the way through lockdown, I think, where it was him sort of from his back room. And he had a he's got a kind of bar in his back room. So it was quite a Oh lovely. It was quite a nice sort of backdrop and it felt yeah. quite cool. And and he had I think I think he basically had quite a sort of quite a loyal audience from his shows that he runs in Scotland. And so the first one I did, I think, was sort of May or June or something, and it was it was like eighty people. Oh wow! And they were all unmuted, or most of them were unmuted, and you could see them and you could play with them. And I was like, oh, actually, this is great, you know. And, and then I, I think I, I just also found that the thing about Zoom is that actually there are quite a lot of extra things you can do with Zoom. You can play with the backgrounds, you can do yeah. sort of special effects, you can mess around with stuff. And I, I'm not I'm not someone who's got like massive programming ability, so I wasn't. There were one or two acts I saw who were using like proper like, animations and things which oh, is really? incredible i mean abandonman and um darren walsh and people like that they yeah. had like full scale they was like they were putting on a kind of multimedia show in zoom oh, which was very impressive but i did i did a few bits and pieces a bit like that you know little changing the backgrounds and messing with uh, i had a i've got an app that can sort of change my appearance on zoom and stuff oh, so nice. yeah that was really fun and actually and i've still you know since then i've done quite a lot i've done loads of corporate ones and private parties and there was a period sort of from about christmas through to maybe march april where i was doing maybe two or three a week and yeah. it was it was like being back at back on the circuit in a funny sort of way except that i was just sitting in my house <laughs> so it's very very odd odd feeling but um but it was yeah it was fun yeah it was a very enjoyable thing to do a gig to like i did one to about 160 people which was really nice mm. and got like a lot of positive feedback from that uh and then sort of 10 minutes later i was in my pants watching tv it's great Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, there was that, there is that weird feeling though with Zoom shows, which, which is, it is kind of hard to get, like, you don't get the same, you definitely don't get the same sort of physical feeling no. of like before a show. Cause I sometimes would find that kind of quite difficult that I'd be sort of before a show where I'd had, you know, maybe I was having to do 45 minutes or something for a corporate show. So it was quite a big ask. And I was sort of thinking about it and working out what I was going to talk about and making notes. And, but then actually in the run up to the gig, if you're doing that at a normal, gig you'd be sort of pacing up and down and yeah. kind of getting into the feel of the room and whatever but when you're just in your house it's quite a tricky sort of to get any sort of adrenaline going is really difficult and you yeah, end up sort yeah, of sitting yeah. in front of the and you sort of go go and then like they're all sort of looking at you and it's like right okay I've got to start now I've got to be on form and that's quite a weird transition yeah to be like you're in your kitchen and then you're suddenly in a you know in a vertical gig and it has been funny going back to real gigs recently and thinking Oh no! The, yeah, this is this is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and better. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Better. I mean, it is a lot. You know, getting a laugh from a real gig is a is a much more satisfying sort of feeling and much more sort of physically like you feel it and all that kind of stuff. But I still do have a soft spot for Zoom gigs. Like I still think that they are a interesting form, and I'll still yeah. keep doing them occasionally. I think. 
So we've met like a couple of times, but like in passing, I'm not sure if you'd particularly remember me. We did a comedy Cirque together once, I think. Okay. I was trying to think, yeah, I I knew that we had met, but I was trying to think which gig it was at or whether, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, because we definitely gigged together then. I think it's a comedy Cirque, one of those. um... Remind me where they are. I know the name. I'm trying to think where they are. That was around, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, It's like Shoreditchy sort of area. Okay. And uh, I think they ran in a couple of different places, but they were generally terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I I did one once and uh, Steve Bennett was there. And oh, that's I always the kiss of death. The rest of the audience were comedians. So mm. it's like, why are you here? Look what you do. It's just, turned, just gone down to just enjoy some comedy. And yeah. uh, there were some questionable things happening that night. So is that Was that one where it, it was in sort of a basement of a tapas bar or something yeah that sounds right and it was quite small and quite i'm trying to think where it was yeah i've got an image i know which gig i'm thinking of but i can't remember if you were that at that one but that was i had a i had a period maybe i feel like that might have been like four years ago maybe yeah it was around yeah four five years yeah because i went through a period of of going i feel like i don't know any of the like open mic gigs anymore like yeah. I've kind of, I'm only doing sort of paid gigs at weekends and and you know midweek shows out of London and stuff yeah. and, I thought, and I was sort of feeling like I'd sort of lost touch with what that was going on in the open mic circuit and I, I also felt like I needed to do I had like a whole bunch of new material that I wanted to try out and I couldn't I couldn't do it just at new material nights I wanted to sort of find some other places so I, I had a period of kind of going back to sort of open mic the open mic world for a bit and just trying to find nice gigs to play and do new yeah. material at and uh that did not last long no <laughs> i have to say because i i did it for about two weeks and was like ah yeah i remember why these gigs because like when you do them when you're when you're new they're they're the only gigs you can get so yeah. you know that's what you can do but when you go back to them you're like uh it's a little bit like going to back to this is this is going to sound patronizing but i mean it in a specific way it's a bit like going to back to sort of primary school when you're a bit older and you're yeah. like oh everything's a bit smaller and you sort of forget that the chairs are smaller and the desks are smaller and all that kind of thing because yeah. they were your size at the time. And it feels like that with open mic gigs. When you go back, you're like, hang on, there's only seven people here. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's the exactly microphone that. doesn't work and the lighting's terrible. And you go, oh, that's, yeah, but that's what these gigs are like. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, you sort of build up from there. That's what and if you go back to, to them to try stuff out, it's not, doesn't really work, you know? No. Yeah, no, it's an interesting, uh, interesting sort of thing. I'm quite fortunate because uh, I live in uh, uh, South End. And mm. a friend of mine runs, well, it is an open mic gig, but it's just, it's really nice. And he mm. gets sort of quite a loyal audience and they're generally, not always, but generally comedy savvy. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's good. It's, and that is like every Sunday. So I just go down there, try some new stuff and very well, those are like gold dust, that. those gigs. I yeah. mean, I think that, I think there aren't that many of those in London because there's too much choice in a way. Like I think... Yeah. You get a lot. You're more likely to get a nice gig like that out of London, somewhere else, where you can put on an open mic gig and have a loyal audience, and you're not in massive competition with everything else. Yeah. I think it's when, I think that's the problem is when you're in competition with loads of other gigs, then an audience turns up and sees eight acts who aren't great. Yeah. Then they can always go and see something else. Whereas if you're in a smaller area, then you're, you're more likely to have a bit more of a supportive crowd who can kind of stick around. Absolutely. And, and yeah. See the, you know. Yeah, they're uh, they're diluting the good crowd in in London. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a few in Brighton that are all right, but um, sort of the, the like the the more paid work I get, the the further away towns get as well. You know, 
because there's uh, like once upon a time two and a half hours drive for an open mic sure yeah that sounds fine and uh and now yeah, it's like, yeah yeah that's quite far actually yeah uh, which you know. oh that is a i mean i think that's just what happens over the course of any stand-ups kind of <laughs> career yeah that as you yeah because now yeah i've got to the point now where i'm I think particularly after the lockdown as well, that I feel like I'm not that bothered. I don't really want to drive halfway across the country now to do a gig unless I know it's a good one. You yeah. know, whereas I think there were, there would have been a time a few years ago where I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll go to, yeah, north of Birmingham just on the off chance it's okay. Whereas now it's like, mm, I, I need to know it's going to be worth yeah. doing for me to do that, you know. Yeah. Although having said that, I went to um, I went to Leicester about two weeks ago to do a preview because i'm doing the camden fringe in a couple of weeks oh, okay and um because it's because of obviously this the year we've had there's been no chance to do sort of long form previews anywhere yeah and uh someone had booked this gig in leicester and i was like oh great and 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 i was booked with another act who's done a bit of telly and stuff so i thought oh this would be good and turned up and there was no one there and it was the it was the i think it was the first week of the sort of semi-lockdown where they'd sort of it was pre- before everything had been released so you were allowed to go to gigs but I think it was still people weren't quite sure and stuff and I think basically just they hadn't worked out you know how to get people to come to it yet yeah and uh that was a bit bleak but ironically or sort of nice or sort of fortunately I was on the train on the way home and sort of text uh, tweeting about this because going oh it's a bit of a shame that this gig didn't happen and then I had a bunch of people on Twitter going well why don't you do an online show an online preview which I hadn't really thought about I just because you know didn't it oh, felt yeah. like sort of two different I, things i saw your states about that yeah yeah but then and then i did it and i got quite a lot of people to come to it and people bought tickets and so i ended up doing a really fun online show i'm doing another one next week so oh, it's lovely. like so it's sort of it has reminded me that oh yeah we're in a new world now you yeah know, that in the old days pre-lockdown you'd go to leicester you know it happened to be a lot you'd go somewhere like leicester no one would turn up or maybe 10 people would turn up and you would do a sort of not very satisfactory show come back and think well that was a bit waste of time and I but I don't know what else to do because I'm sort of you're reliant on promoters booking you and reliant on unless you want to set your own gig up and then that's a whole other faff um but nowadays you can just put an online show on yeah and uh yeah Mark Simmons has been doing that because he used to run a gig in in Canterbury like I don't think it's every Sunday but like he'd go and do a preview on like sort of the odd Sunday at a venue in Mm. uh in Canterbury and yeah, quite a sort of loyal following that come down and watch him like see how his shows were developing all the time. And then he started doing that online during the uh, during the lockdown. He started doing that quite early, I think, just because he was mm. used to doing it. And it sort of, uh, I think it works quite well for him. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Now we're in this sort of, I mean, I know it's a bit of a cliche now to say it, but we're in this sort of hybrid world now where it, you'd be mad to just throw away all, everything we've learnt yeah. during the lockdown. You know, like I feel like there are some people who sort of feel like, oh well everything's back to normal now you know we can just throw away our zooms and yeah. throw away you know any idea about doing stuff online and and i think no it's never going to go back completely to how it was you know there will always be this sort of hybrid element now yeah. and there will always be a sense of well hang on if you if you can't get an audience in person because that's the thing because for someone like me i've always felt like you know i've got a number of followers online and you know people who like what i do who look, follow me on twitter and stuff and over lockdown that's increased a lot because I've done a lot more videos and stuff than I ever have before yeah and I've really focused on that and that's been like a proper thing to do rather than something I did occasionally as a sort of as a hobby um but it's still like not enough to be like able to do like a tour where I went to do 20 shows all around the country because I probably got like 
you know, 10 fans in Leicester and <laughs> seven in Bristol and 20 in Glasgow or whatever, you know, yeah. and that's lovely, but that's not enough to kind of do a tour. You need yeah. 150 or 200 or whatever. But if if you group them all together and put them all online, that's over, that's 100 people and that's yeah. plenty. Lovely. Know? So it's sort of, um, it's not plenty to have, you know, make a living for a, no. for a year, but it's plenty to sort of do a couple of shows and, you know, so, so, so yeah, it does feel like actually... That's where the you know that's where things are going now. Yeah, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, uh, just to sort of go back, you, you said about you, you doing that preview with um, someone who'd done some telly stuff a few years ago. A friend of mine, uh, do you know Ashfrith? Yes. Yeah, he um, briefly ran a gig at a pub in uh, in a town that I used to live in. Uh, it's quite a small town, but like he got a sort of a, a moderately regular crowd in there. Quite Essex. Have you gigged much in Essex? Uh, well, funnily enough, I actually book a gig near you actually um, in Canvey Island oh okay yeah um so I've done a few I mean I have done quite a lot of stuff in Essex over the years yeah but this completely randomly this um it's a sort of well not it's not a funny story but it's it's a sort of interesting story that I I did a lot of I do still do a lot of gigs for the 99 club in London and uh compare there a lot and this guy came along to see the show and sort of said hello afterwards and then I saw him again a few months later I sort of recognized him and he was like, oh, I was, you know, I spoke to you last time. And, and he said, you know, would you want to do a, would you want to run a gig at my pub basically or my, my club? And I said, sure. Thinking this will never go anywhere. Yeah. You know, people say this kind of stuff all the time. And he gave me his card and I just didn't do anything about it. I just forgot about it. And then he came back a few weeks later and went, I'll give you my card. Why don't you get in touch with me? And I was like, oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I did email him thinking, still thinking it's not going to happen but he got straight back to me and agreed on all my you know all the fees and stuff that I suggested and um and he's really into the comedy and he's, oh, nice. you know, he really loves it he goes to see comedy a lot and um it's a nice little it's a sort of it's a, like a private members club in Canvey oh, okay um they're a really nice crowd and so we've been running that now I, I sort of ran it for about six months before the pandemic yeah and then obviously cancelled it and then we've done we did one in that brief window where you were allowed to do gigs and then yeah. we've done one we did one in june when it was sort of halfway and then we we're, we're going back to i think we're doing it sort of every 6 weeks or something so it's not like every week or anything but yeah yeah it's um it's a really nice little place and it's completely random because it's the only place that i book and so i kind of had this sort of weird thing of having to book people for this gig and they was like what where is this what is this why are you why have you got this and it's like well it's it's a very odd random connection but that's why yeah, how um, funny. But it, yeah, it is nice. I do like Essex um, for yeah. gigs, but yeah, they can be. There are there. Are, I've done a few over the years. I'm thinking of one or two in particular that were quite tasty. <laughs> Go on. Uh, well, just are either of them for Graham Matthews. Um, no, he used to run um, one. That smashy. Is... Oh yeah. Well, that's yeah. So um, my mate that lives like down the is road Ross? Is, is Little Smash. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did one. I mean, to be fair, his ones were quite nice. I did one. I did his one. I mean, a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, the original Smashy. Uh, yeah. I did his gig. I can't remember where it was. At some slightly weird bar, and that was I. I compared it, it, and it was uh, a funny old gig. It was quite a rowdy crowd, but it was sort of fine. Like it was fine, and it, yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit weird. Um, but I did what I'm trying to think of the name of the guy who ran it. I probably shouldn't say it because he was a bit of a. <laughs> Um, an interesting character. But he <laughs> he ran a number of gigs in Essex, and they were 
tricky because they were often sort of in the back of a venue and the venue wasn't uh, really very well sort of separated between just random punters and people who wanted to see the comedy and all that sort of stuff was it which is always the sorry was it no no Um, i'm trying to think of the name but i can't remember he was someone who basically had a bit of a a reputation for being quite tricky and i think he just ended up not paying people and all this kind of stuff so it was Uh, all a bit he, he sort of stopped doing it after a while um there's nothing more um, galling than doing a difficult gig and then not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had that a few times over the years where you're like, oh, God, well, that was tough, but at least I'm getting paid. And then and then like a month later, oh, no, they've gone bust or yeah. oh, they've disappeared or whatever. Um, oh, they've changed their name. They've changed their name and they've run away to Spain or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I interrupted you. you were saying no, 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 the, that's um, all right. Uh, what, what, how, how was I getting to that? Oh, so yeah, so uh, people in Essex can often be uh, like the. Oh, sometimes when you get a comedy savvy crowd in Essex, it's it's beautiful and it's really really nice. Mm. But your general turn up at a pub and watch comedy crowd in Essex like to laugh. They often enjoy comedy, but also will will give you a laugh and then stop and then say yeah. next joke. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, you know it can be quite that sort of um, thing. So yeah, so this uh, gig that Ash Frith ran was a lovely little gig, but it's very much like that. And like I grew up here, but I'm I'm not of of that ilk, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like I grew up in the same town, but um, I've just got different sensibilities, if you will. I um, I'm, I'm not a football lad, uh, which I don't, I don't know if you could tell from <laughs> the lovely paintings of foliage on my wall. Um, I mean, I've got I've got Japanese cats, oh, so lovely. yeah, I think we're I think we're in a similar, similar <laughs> yeah. vibe. But yeah, I still had sort of quite a nice time. Like I, I think I've still got a, a bit of an Essex edge to me, where I'm quite sort of uh, fun and whimsical, but mm. will tell you to f- off. Uh, <laughs> that is the I key. I think that is the key with a lot of those gigs is that you have to, you have to kind of put on a bit of a front with yeah. them. You have to like even if that's what if you. I just I basically with those sorts of gigs, I just often find myself just swearing a lot more <laughs> than yeah. normal. You know, and and in a funny sort of way, that often is almost enough. Like it's that sort of attitude. You have to go on with that kind of, come on then, yeah. come on. Even and and you can still do the same, exactly the same jokes as you normally do, but you do it with a bit more energy and a bit more kind of you know front. And if someone interrupts you, you tell them to fuck off, and it's like bang straight away. And there's no like you're not, and and then they love you, yeah, because <laughs> like you're in charge. You know, it's the alpha thing of yeah, you know, you're yeah. in charge. Um, yeah, it's and it funny. took me a very long time to kind of learn that or sort of maybe not even learn it, but just sort of get to be able to do it. You know, yeah. To kind of get to a point where I felt comfortable doing it. The thing... Because you have to... If you show weakness, it's that sort of classic, if you show weakness, then they'll kind of... They'll take you. you That's know? it. Yeah, because I think the biggest hurdle that I found was uh, I, I, I did start off and sort of had that, like, in mind of sort of be aggressive, stay on top of them, but it was be aggressive and uh, don't be fun with it. <laughs> That's mm. that, that was a big lesson that I had to learn, is that if mm. you tell someone to off you need to smile while you say it I think vibe. I have the advantage of it's that funny thing of there's a sort of physicality thing isn't there because if you're you know if you're someone like I don't know Jeff Innocent or yeah. uh, you know you can name any other you know Bob Mills is a great example Bob yeah. you know Bob destroys gigs like that you know physically big you know presence all that sort of stuff they they know that they're not going to the, the audience kind of can feel that sense of like, well, they're physically bigger, but they're also, they've got that weight of experience and they know what they're doing. Yeah. And so they're just not going to take them on. Yeah. Whereas if you're not that, if you're more physically 
small, like you and I, uh, and you and you're not physically, you know, you're not intimidating. No one's intimidated by me. No one ever has been intimidated by me. <laughs> so you've got to have the, you've got to have an attitude. You've got to, but 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 you can have a presence on stage. You can still have a sort of, you can still have an aggressive presence on stage or a sort of confident presence on stage. Yeah. But you've got to be aware that what that means is you're kind of projecting a kind of attitude, but they know it's not true. Yeah. And so you've got to be aware of that, I think. And yeah, as you say, you've got to say it with a smile. So you can tell someone to fuck off. You can be aggressive. You can be quite vicious. And I can be, you know, if necessary, can be quite cutting and quite aggressive with someone. But I'll always then turn it back on myself. Yeah. I'll always, you know, at the end of that process, I'll always kind of bring it back to something silly about me or say, make some joke about, well, obviously I'm going to die tonight. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Look, looking forward to meeting this guy outside in the car park or whatever That's it is. It, yeah. And and you you just give them you give them that little moment of like obviously this isn't real obviously I'm not really being aggressive yeah <laughs> obviously this you know, and I think nine times out of ten that works and also the thing that you I find fascinating about comedy is a sort of I think something it's so easy to forget <laughs> as a comic particularly if you've been doing it for any length of time is that most people would literally rather die than be on stage yeah. There's that old, you know, there's that classic Jerry Seinfeld joke about, in terms of phobias, public speaking comes before death. Yeah. So people would rather be at a funeral in the casket than telling the eulogy. That's, you know, and it's that kind of classic, but it's true. And he's absolutely right that even those big Essex blokes, even those big shaven head, you know, Sherman shirts, guys who are sitting at the back with their pint in hand and they, you know, you think they're going to, if you actually invited them upstage, on stage, which I would never do. I'd never get someone on stage because <laughs> yeah. it can go horribly wrong. Yeah. But if they, if they, if they for some reason swap places with you, they'd crumble. Nine yeah. times out of yeah. ten, they really would, and they know that. And so the, the, there is an awareness there that being on stage does give you a certain status and all that kind of stuff. Which I think when we, when you've been doing it for a while, you sort of forget that because it's sort of so natural to be on stage. But as soon as you see someone else on stage, you're like, oh, who's not used to it? You're yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They um, they do have that. And I find it so funny after, you know, after gigs, these, you know, occasionally big blokes who you think, God, you're quite aggressive. And I'm, I was a little bit scared of you on stage. Yeah. You know, I was a little bit worried that you might kick off. They came up to you and go, oh, you know, I could never do what you do and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You think, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, turns out, yeah. Yeah. There was a, so that gig that uh, Graham Matthews ran that was notorious. It doesn't run anymore. There's a, hmm. in, in Greys. And uh, there was a guy who used to be there every week who he had like, teeth marks in his ear and a chunk of his ear missing wow and like it was terrifying and he came up to um sort of there were like three of us from uh from round here we're all sort of getting ready to go and he came up to us and we we're like oh well this is how we die and mm. uh and he was like oh that's brilliant oh yeah i'll be, I'll be so scared to get up on stage oh although uh you you probably should take the piss out of people more just like no worries man yeah i'll bear that in mind yeah, thank, yeah, thank yeah. you see you later that's the thing i i, I just love that i it is really, I do think if stand-up has taught me anything about people, it's that you really can't prejudge them. No, absolutely. And, you know, as all, you know, I mean, I, I still do it every gig, <laughs> you know, like, like every, every time I look at an audience, every time I go look outside. at how many people, older people there are, how many younger people there are, how many, you know, gender split and all that. Yeah. And you sort of immediately go, oh, there'll be this kind of crowd. Yeah. But the reality is nine times, it's wrong, you know, and you... I've turned up at, as I'm sure you have, you know, you turn up at a student gig and it's full of people in their, you know, teens or twenties and you think, 
oh, these guys will be really up for it and they'll be really, and they're a nightmare <laughs> and they're yeah. quite tough and they're quite judgmental. And they, you know, every time you do anything, even slightly ironically, um, you know, crossing some sort yeah. of imaginary line, they get really offended, you know, and they heckle you and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you go to a gig, which is, yeah, full of sort of blokes and um, people who look like they, uh, you know, work on a building site or whatever. And there's a little yeah. part of you going, mm, this might be tricky. And they're lovely, absolutely delightful crowd, yeah. you know, and you, you just, and sometimes, and vice versa, you know, and sometimes yeah, course, it yeah. is exactly how you expect. And so, there is that. I think. I think that has taught me that really strongly. <laughs> that, um, that I, ha- in fact, weirdly enough, I'm, I'm only thinking about this because I had that exact experience last night, where I was doing. I was comparing a gig in in London, and um, in the first section, I spoke to a bloke in the corner who had cheered at the beginning. So I saw, you know, I say, "Who's been to comedy before? Who hasn't been to comedy before?" And he's cheered for not. And he was wearing a cap, and I said, "You know, what's your name?" And he was like, "Lee." You had a real like voice like that, and I was like, "Oh, great!" And I sort of slightly, slightly took the piss out and was, like, "Oh, hello, Lee. How are you doing, Lee? What do you do, Lee?" And he was like, "I'm a builder." And <laughs> he was just really—it was just so stereotypical yeah. of like, you know, it's Lee. He's a builder. He's from Essex, you know, that kind of thing. And he was, and and then I spoke to another guy later called Jay, who was quite posh. He was wearing a suit and he was holding a glass of wine. Yeah, and um, and he was a prick. <laughs> and you know he was quite annoying and quite like he um during my bit I, I said to him you know how long have you known your partner how long have you guys been together and he was like oh t- too long which is a class you know a yeah. common joke but when I spoke to his, his partner they'd only been together six months uh, so, you know it wasn't like you know usually people say that when they've been together years and I made I, I know, imagine made she was agreeing he, he started heck sorry I imagine she was agreeing <laughs> well, exactly. and she was yeah. like you know head in hands and being yeah. a bit like oh god and then, you know, he started heckling one of the other acts later on in the show. And and then Lee, in the second section, piped up right at the beginning, went, Matt, I just want to say, I think you're great. <laughs> I was really like, oh, oh thanks, up. Lee. And it became a real sort of like running joke throughout the show that, you know, I, Lee was my favourite and this guy was a dickhead over here. Yeah. And, but I thought, you know, if you'd put them next to each other before I started the show and said, right, Lee's a builder from Essex, wearing a cap, he's never been to comedy before, uh, you know, and this Jay... I didn't find out what he did, but I got the feeling that he was probably a, worked in finance or, you know, that kind of thing. Who do you think will be more trouble? I'd have yeah. probably gone, oh, I don't know, maybe Lee, I don't know. But actually, Lee was lovely and and came up to me at the end and was, oh, I thought that was great, well done, you know, you're really funny. And he was really, really lovely. And the other guy was just a bit horrible. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It, it does teach you that you just cannot predict. Yeah, 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 it's funny. Oh, that's what I was going to say about Ashworth Club. Um Sorry, I feel like this is the never-ending anecdote. I'm going to keep <laughs> no, it's interrupting. Right. It'll end, it'll it's end, like so. a Billy Connolly routine. At the end, you'll be like, and then yeah. the thing. Oh, sorry, we ran out of time. Sorry. So let's get let's get to the end of this Ashfrith thing. Yeah, I feel like it's being built up now. So like it was the that the night that he was doing there was at the uh, pub was sort of it was building and building. It was getting better, uh, and then he was running uh, some previews there, and there was one night that was Angela Barnes and Ian Smith. So, like, okay. an incredible yeah. night. Yeah. And uh, I was the only person to turn up to watch. So they were yeah. like... previews are a nightmare like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think in normal times, previews are hard to sell. And particularly at the moment, they're in even even harder to sell. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's a, yeah, it is a funny one with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've got one on Sunday, which is the first preview of, uh, of the new show. And I've sold three tickets but then the person that sold the most amount of tickets i think has sold about 12 so like it's not mm. 
It's not much, but uh, I'm told that it's like um, it's a fashion fringe, and I'm told that it's the kind of place where people will just turn up on the day. So cool, yeah. I'm up for that. Like even even then, I did a I did a beautiful show to two people in Edinburgh once. So you know, <laughs> uh, I did my, my um, the, oh yeah. I mean, I've done we've all done shows to handfuls of people oh, in Edinburgh. Yeah. It's uh, that's a rite of passage, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most most memorable show to a small audience I can ever remember doing was almost exactly. When was it? Almost exactly nine years ago, because it was during the 2012 Olympics. Oh, okay. Nine years? Have I done the sums right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, that feels a long time ago now. I So I wasn't in Edinburgh because I took the year off because I thought the Olympics would be a fun thing to be in London for. I was right. It yeah. was good. But it was there was a gig that ran sort of at the end of my road, sort of a little pub at the end of my road in uh, in North London. And I hadn't done it. And I, can't, I actually can't remember who ran it now, but it was someone who sort of didn't run many gigs Right, and he got in touch with me and said, "You know, this this gig is on. Do you want to do it?" And I said, "Sure," but it's during the Olympics. Is anyone going to actually want to do? It, want to come to see it? And he went, "Yeah, yeah, I'm sure." And I said, "Okay, well, I'll 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 drop you a message just before the gig starts, and if you know, assuming that anyone's there, I'll come along." And I was head you know headlining in a bit of commas. I was yeah. right at the end, and um, <laughs> so I texted him, and it was the Sunday of. Um, like the 100 meters final so you know the big it was the last Sunday of the Olympic 100 meters Usain Bolt all that stuff yeah I text and it was a it was a lovely sunny day and I thought there's just no way anyone's gonna come to this gig I texted him before and went just you know no worries but I'm I'm assuming no one's there and he went no no no, we've got an audience we've got an audience and I went oh okay all right fine well I'll um I'll pop down at the interval then and um I'll, I'll come and headline so I turned up at the interval and there were four people there amazing and they were all, I think they were New Zealand or Australian. I can't remember. Maybe Australian, like backpackers who would, <laughs> who'd sort of turned up at this little pub and it was, it was in the basement of this little pub. Great. And I turned up and I was like, is this, is this literally all we've got? And he was like, yeah, yeah, they're nice. They're a, they're a nice four, <laughs> you know, in that way that promoters do. It's like, yeah, we've only got four, but they're a nice four. They are a nice yeah. four. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, all right. And then I said, do you know what? I will do it, but I will only do it if we can watch the um, 100 meters final. Because I was going to, I was due to go on stage whenever it was, like about 10 minutes before the right. 100 meters final was due to be. So I walked on stage at that point and said to them, said to the four of them, look, I'll be honest, normally four isn't really enough to do a show, but I'm happy to do it. But I want to watch the 100 meters final. So I'm going to stop when the 100 meters final is on go upstairs watch it on the big screens they've got upstairs and if you want to carry on with the gig afterwards i'll be happily come down and do the last 10 minutes and they were like yeah all right yeah fine whatever and so that's literally i just sort of set a stopwatch on my watch did 10 minutes and they were a nice four to be fair to them they were nice they were australian they were quite you know up for it and quite sort of bullient yeah and then after about 10 minutes alarm went off i was like right all right guys we're gonna go upstairs went upstairs got a drink Watch the hundred meters final. Watch Usain Bolt smash it, and then yeah. at the end, I said, "So I said, said to them, said, do you want to carry on?'" They were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, let's do it." <laughs> so, trooped back downstairs, did the last ten minutes, and I was like, "I'm sort of glad I did that because that's now an anecdote, but it's yeah. a very weird, weird story." That's funny. Yeah, I did. It was the last show of my run in Edinburgh uh, mm. in 2017, and um, I there were like two people who turned up, and I said to them. It's just the two of you, like, do you want to call it quits, you know? And uh, and they were like, no, no, we'll, we'll watch the show. And I was like, okay, uh, sure. Like, they yeah. seemed nice. Uh, a couple of squaddies, like, they were big lads. 
And I was oh, like, right, okay. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and they were like, and one of them said, oh, do you want, do you want a drink? I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck, fuck it, I'll have a pint, go on. Uh, so we yeah. went out to the bar and like, I just had a sort of chat with the other guy. And, uh, and he came back in, they sat down and I still, I still use the microphone. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think I'm that's sure important. Why. I've had gigs like that when there's only a few and you think, and there's a part of you goes, should we just sit down? Should I just sit down and chat to you? And yeah. then 10 minutes in, you're like, this was a bad idea because yeah, yeah, yeah. now it's this like a weird a conversation a con- where yeah. they're not allowed to speak and, you know, you have to use the mic or at least stand on the stage or something. You've got to give some yeah. feeling of it being theatrical. You've got to show a, you know? a level of presence for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I had the mic and like and and I had a stool because I normally use the stool for uh, like a, at the time I had a little lunchbox that had a soundboard built into it and a little mm. light in it and it was a bit of a thing. I had my face on the front, but and I was like, "Should we just should like just do some like because whilst walking the streets of Edinburgh, I'd sort of written probably about mm. twenty five minutes of new material, and I was like, "Should we just do the new stuff?" And they were like, "Oh yeah," and I said, "Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, like, I started with the start of the show because mm. obviously, you know, it's quite strong." And I was like, "It'll it'll get us going," and they they enjoyed it so much. I was like, "Oh, you can have the show, like you can have the whole mm. thing," and uh, I think that was like the second highest bucket that I got as well. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I think they gave me like twenty quid each. That's the thing about Edmund, with those free free shows. Yeah, that sometimes the harder gigs are the ones you get the best. Because you could the best bucket from because you can, they can see that you've worked for it. Yeah, you know, there's a feeling that you and and also they feel a bit sort of bit bad for you <laughs> and that yeah. like, oh, he's really put himself through it for that and yeah, should we, we should probably give him a bit extra. Whereas yeah, the the full Saturday gigs or something where you think, oh, there's like a hundred people here, I could definitely I'll get like loads of money. You get like effectively like twenty p from each person. Yeah, or something. you think, oh, okay, well that is that has not worked. Yeah. Yeah, that is exactly what it was as well, because the Saturday, the uh, penultimate show was a completely full room, and I got less on that day than I did from those two. I know, it's so. Fr- I mean, that's why the free model, I think. I mean, I, I've done, I've done, did one full length, you know, full run of a free show, and it was, you know, I enjoyed it in many ways, but I do find the model is quite frustrating for that reason, that it just doesn't, people take advantage of it in a way, and it, or it's not quite, it's not, like the it should be pay what you want. I think it's better now that people, the further on that it's gone, people are sort of more aware of the sort of it's pay what you want, not free. Yeah, and you know that free implies free, whereas pay what you want is clearer that it's like it should you should give some money. Yeah, yeah. You know, and now that there's all the sort of card readers and stuff, I feel like that's a bit better. That it, yeah, oh, it's much that. better. Uh, I like. Um, I was I was sort of the last year. I think I did it in 2016. I felt like. I feel like that was the last year before card readers became really everywhere. Yeah. You know, that was a few people had them, but not everyone. And no one was quite sure how to use them. And then that year, like people sort of worked it out. And I think if I'd gone back after that, I'd been like, yeah, I'll definitely use card readers. and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of them as well that are now uh, like reserve a ticket online for five pounds, which is nice. Because, you know, yeah, and that makes sense. And also, you know, people have spent a lot of time and effort on these shows. Like even if, a fiver is a you know you should you should spend a fiver on a show whatever it is yeah. frankly you know, yeah if it's an hour of your time it should it should be worth a fiver and I sort of feel like too many people there is a sort of problem at the moment with comedy of people sort of I think just undervaluing it and I'm sort of pleased yeah. that after lockdown there's a bit more of a feeling of like we've got to pay for this now because it's because everyone's had a year of not much money so yeah. we do have to spend a bit of money on it and you've got to you've just got to have a bit of confidence of like it's got to be worth a fiver if it's not worth a fiver why are you doing it yeah yeah yeah. And then it's up to them. And if they've made a bad choice, if they don't like it, you know, it's like one pint, isn't it? Or a yeah. pint and a half or, you know, whatever it is, depending on the bar you go to. Um, like, what's the worst that can happen? You know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 
But you know, I'd certainly rather pay five pound for <laughs> for an evening of entertainment than uh, than buy another drink. Uh... Yeah. Well, and it, and also with the free shows, I think I think I found the free shows as a punter just a bit frustrating sometimes because you sort of go, I'd really like to see that show, but because it's quite popular, in order to get to it, I'm going to have to start queuing an hour beforehand, or something, yeah. which means I then can't see another show that I'd like to see. And so when I went up there as a punter a few times over the last couple of years before before lockdown, obviously, yeah. When I wasn't doing a show in Edinburgh, I'd only be up for maybe two or three days. And I just I didn't really go and see any free shows unless they happened to be, you know, something I was walking past and thought, yeah. oh, I've got an hour now. But I would very rarely schedule them in because it was just too risky. Yeah. You'd turn up and miss it because it was too busy or you couldn't get to another show or, you know, whatever. So yeah. I, I think it's good that they've sort of introduced the sort of a bit of a booking system and stuff. Yeah, it's good. Because, yeah, qu- quite often in that situation, I'd have to like just rely on going to see uh, shows of people that I know and <laughs> just send them yeah. a message and be like, can you just can you make sure I get in, please? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it turns into sort of a weird sort of social uh, convention. But, mm. yeah. Oh, speaking of shows, because mm. I saw your show in Brighton in 2016, which oh, yeah. was, and I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was the, was it a, a love letter to Harvey Keitel? Is that what it was called? It was called, it was called Writing to Harvey Keitel, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. That, was the, that was the show that then, that was the show I did at the Free, free Festival that year. Oh, was yeah. it? Yeah. Because that, yeah. uh, that was great. That's the only time I've seen you do a full show, but it was incredible. Uh, oh, thank you. I enjoyed that a lot because I think I was doing the show. I think I was on like two shows after you or something. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the Quadrant, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I love that venue. It's, love, it's a great venue to preview stuff in. Yeah, it's really cool. It's perfect, isn't it? It's just, it's dark and it's a separate room. And uh, mm. the it's about the right nice. size for a fringe show. It's, it's you know, perfect, maybe yeah. if you really, if you really cram people in, you can get sort of 60 or 70 in, but it, yeah. it feels fine with like 20, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even sometimes we had. Because like I'd split an hour that year because mm. someone got in co- like I couldn't afford it, but the person that got in contact with me was a millionaire, and he said, <laughs> "I want to put a show on, uh, and I want to do it with you. Like I'll pay for it." And okay, sure. <laughs> uh, and that Fair was because I think that was uh, that was the first time that I'd realised that I could quite comfortably do forty minutes. Because mm. uh, previous to that, I think I'd only sort of done about twenty twenty five maybe, and. Um, I thought that I'd put sort of some of it together. And then he, on the first night, it turned out that he only had 17 minutes. So I was <laughs> like, well, I'll, I'll fill the rest of the time. I've got some more material yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah, it worked out quite well. So it was nice. But uh, yeah, did did you ever hear back from Harvey Keitel? That is a question <laughs> I wanted to ask. No, I didn't. I mean, uh, yeah, it was a fun show that. I think in Brighton, I think you saw a... It was. It wasn't quite there yet in terms of the um, the structure and stuff. Like it was kind of getting there, but it but it still needed a bit of because it still needed some work. That was quite a tricky show to um, to finalise because it because it was one that was um, had visuals and had you know a PowerPoint presentation, all that kind of. stuff. It's the first one of those I've done oh, okay. where it had a lot of, a lot of extra AV stuff going on in it, uh, and it was also quite a specific tone that I was going for, which was, again was kind of trying to get right about like to, for the for the listener I'll explain what it was it was basically because I did a I did an advert in 2014 which was for direct line and it was one of those Harvey Keitel ones and it was me in a car with Harvey Keitel and 
for about a year and a half afterwards, I just kept being asked, you know, how, oh, what was that like? Who was, you know, were you actually in the car with him? And was it all green screened? And what was he like? And did you say hello to him? You know, are you friends now? And all this kind of stuff. Uh, and it got to the point where I was like, I'm going to have to do a show about this because it's it's sort of just this relentless kind yeah. of every time I saw somebody. Um, but I decided that I, I sort of did a slightly deliberately, it was kind of, I made up this idea that I was, the tagline for the show was something like people keep asking Matt what Harvey Keitel's like. So Matt began to wonder, do people keep asking Harvey Keitel what Matt's like? <laughs> yeah. And and it became this sort of idea that I was this slightly delusional person who who thought I was friends with Harvey and um, was writing to him and asking him about his life. And it was all about like me comparing my life to his and he had a uh, you know, he was an actor and I was an actor and he went to this kind of school. I went to this kind of school. And so I was able to sort of do various bits of material that's kind yeah. of linked all to that. And I found like a, a lookalikes agency that had a Harvey Keitel lookalike and I tried to book him for something. And I, I sort of found, I, I watched loads of his films and found clips of them and sort of and clipped them together and did like a kind of, as though I was talking, to, I did this like a conversation with Harvey as though I was talking to him about, yeah, yeah, about yeah. our experiences. All that kind of stuff. So it was all quite, it was quite sort of technologically Kind of, and I and the idea was that I'd slightly gone a bit mad, basically. Yeah. <laughs> sort of that I'd kind of become obsessed with Harvey Keitel, which wasn't entirely not true. <laughs> there was a period where I did just <laughs> what you know every day I watched like one or two of his films, yeah. and I bought you know every book I could find on him and all this and stuff. Um, That's the thing when, the, you, yeah, when the, you're writing sort that sort of, of the, show, you do become a little bit obsessed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just, the, the research takes over a bit, and and also because you don't quite know what you're looking for, you're just sort of watching stuff and you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know if any of this is going to be helpful, but it's kind of fun to just sort of <laughs> yeah. get into this mindset. And uh, uh, and yeah, and the premise was that I was sort of writing letters to him that he never replied to, basically. Yeah. And um, uh, and then at the end, I revealed, and I, I don't think I don't think this letter was in it by the time you saw it, but at the end, I revealed a letter that he wrote back to me. Oh, okay. Which was like a whole load of callbacks to all the jokes in the show, basically. Um, right. And the and the implication was that it. And I left it open as to whether it was true or not and whether it was, you know, whether he had actually replied or hadn't replied. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll give you the exclusive. He obviously, obviously did. Um, but <laughs> oh, but I, I, was wondering. Of, I had fun with, you know, I had fun with pretending that he had done and, you know, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, it was, yeah, it was a really fun show. I feel like um, it never really quite got its audience in Edinburgh, as in, all people came to see it. It was nice, you know. People liked yeah. it, and people seemed to like it and stuff. But I didn't, I didn't feel like it had much life after that. Like I, I basically didn't have a very good PR person that year, yeah. and they didn't really do a great job with it. So I kind of, I was, it was about halfway through the fringe. I was like, I don't feel like I'm going to get any reviews for this. I'm just going to get a lot of people coming to see it and go, oh, that's nice, and then didn't get much out of it. So it was a bit of a weird year that because I felt like I spent a lot of time on this show, yeah. Which I, you know, so I'm glad I did. It was a fun show to do and stuff. Yeah, it's great. But yeah. then at the end of it, it was like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's happened. Oh, that's done. Um, there we go. Yeah. Um but uh but yeah, no, well I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it. it yeah, was, I really um, enjoyed it, yeah. So I, I often find myself uh, like if any of his adverts are ever on or anyone ever mentions hmm. Harvey Keitel, I'll always say like, Oh yeah, I, I know a guy who's <laughs> in that advert. Because yeah. um, the uh, the the story that I tell is of you uh, going to make small talk with him and then he responded we're not doing that yeah well that was yeah that sort of was the climactic moment of the show wasn't it because I sort of I kept I kept 
um teasing the fact that we had this relationship and you know on the day we spoke you know what happened when we actually spoke and and then the reality of the whole situation was that yeah when i when i tried to talk to him we were in his car for like six hours or something and when i tried to talk to him he just shut it down yeah and just was like we're not doing this uh we're not doing that and uh and it was quite brutal <laughs> like not he wasn't the thing is he wasn't horrible it wasn't like he was rude or nasty yeah he was just not in not interested in yeah, chatting i don't know time for this. he obviously he, he was tired he'd obviously he'd done lots of other adverts that week you know he didn't need to be my friend yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so and but it was funny because i've done a few i've been very lucky i've done quite a lot of um film bits of filming with quite famous people over the years like you know a scene in a show or a film yeah. or tv whatever and it is kind of interesting seeing how some of them are are you know do make a real effort to be friendly and whoever you are absolutely lovely and really try and make a real effort and others are completely like that and just they don't have the energy for it yeah you know, they're just like if you're not one of the main actors you may as well not exist you know um and it's a yeah it's funny you never know when you until you meet them what they're going to be like yeah who was the nicest person that uh, like the, the most famous that's the nicest like if you sort of meet in that graph Good question. That is a good question. I'm trying to think who I've done. Um, I well, the person who stands out. Well, I was in um, Finding Neverland many, many years ago, um, and I that did had see a really that on your ago. Yeah, that was a that was a proper like I was properly starstruck doing that because that had like Dustin Hoffman, Johnny Depp, Kate Winslet, Judy Christie, wow, and a bunch of others as well. And um, and I met all of them. Oh, great! And at various points uh, and they were all really nice actually johnny was nice um kate winslet was was friendly but also she was the the scene we were on we were in together she ha- it was a very intense scene for her like a very intense emotional scene right and so she was sort of doing you know was in her emotion tense intense emotional space and so yeah, it was kind yeah, of yeah. wasn't being chatty um fair enough but but she seemed very nice um and the others were good dustin hoffman was interesting because he was cl- obviously huge star and yeah. backstage sort of in the we we did the scene we were in together was in a theater and he was playing the sort of the theater theatrical impresario and i was one of the actors and so during the breaks we were in sort of backstage or sort of dressing room area and he was just sort of holding court with the other maybe half a dozen of us who were there telling stories being very lovely and friendly and oh, very chatty cool. uh and was great but then when someone who was like one of the supporting artists like one of the extras came came up to him at one point and was like hi can you sign my thing or can i take a photo or whatever it was he got quite kind of um a a bit sort of frosty with them and and i think it was that thing of like he's you know like if you're going to treat me like a co-worker i'll treat you like a co-worker but as soon as you start treating me like a kind of star then that's an awkward relationship and you know yeah um, so that was kind of interesting seeing that and going yeah you've got to I think I think you really have to if you're working with them you've got to just treat them like anybody else because yeah. that's what they want and if in most cases I've not encountered anyone I don't think who was I mean maybe Harvard Hotel was the most like that the most sort of like treat me like a star you know um but even he wasn't being horrible he was just like just do the work and let's not yeah yeah chat, yeah you know um but I'll be honest the nicest person I can think of rec- more recently I did um a tv thing uh two years ago 
called um, After Ever After, okay. which was uh, on Sky One. It was a David Williams um, right. sort of kid children's fantasy thing yeah. about Cinderella. Was it Cinderella? Was it Cinderella? Yeah, it was Cinderella. Can't, can't remember if it was Cinderella or <laughs> Snow White. It was Cinderella. Uh, Cinderella After Ever After, that was it. Um, and got flown out to Bulgaria, which was cool. Not been there before. Lovely. Blazingly hot time. It was during the summer, so it was blazing hot. Nice. And um, that was a lovely cast. David Williams was on it. The guys from The Pin, uh, Ben and Alex, were on it. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Ruth from... Uh, oh, Ruth Bratt, who does lots of improvisation. Camille Yukan from The Birthday Girls. Uh, so people I sort of knew a bit from the comedy world. Yeah, and then nice. some other sort of quite big stars. Tom Courtney was in it. Um, but the person who was incredibly friendly was Celia Imrie. Um, um, okay. From, you know, you've seen her in Victoria Woods stuff. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, you know, she's done hundreds of, lots of comedy stuff. Yeah, so she, yeah, like, yeah. she's been, I've been a fan of hers forever. You know, she she was she was the sort of the posh one in Victoria Wood. Um, in, oh, like, I April know. Antiques. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And she was just delightful, was so lovely and, but you know, re- noticeably, sort of memorably, just really lovely on set and really friendly. And, you know, as soon as we walked on set for the first time, she came over to all of us and sort of was like, hello, I'm Celia. Who are you? And, oh, how nice. You know, and was really, really nice. And then in the bar and then like in the restaurant at the end of the day, we also went out for a meal at the end of the day and she came and sat next to me and was like, so tell me what you do and who you are and, you know, tell me about... and um. Yeah, just seemed to be really lovely, and I spoke to the, some of the others about her at one point. And said, "Oh, she was like this," and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, she's just she's just really nice." Um, so that was really nice. It's nice to meet someone like that where you go, "Oh, yeah, you are as nice as I as I would hope you were." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because occasionally it happens the other way around, and that's a bit sad <laughs> when you meet someone who's sort of on on screen comes across as being lovely, and then you meet them in real life, and you're like, "Oh, I feel like you might be a bit yeah a bit guarded." You know, who's, and a bit who's difficult. the biggest asshole you've? <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be. I'm not going to answer that one probably, that's but fair I, enough. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I probably. Ha- I don't think I've met any proper assholes. Um, I've just met a few people who are a bit. I think. I've, I think the thing that I've never been a fan of, and I've seen a few times, is people who throw their weight around on set. Right. And it's not normally like I've not seen the worst version of that, which is you know shouting and yeah, yeah, you know, storming off and Your Christian Bale. Yeah, I've never seen the Christian Bale kind of thing. I'm yeah. sure I'm, I know that does happen, but that sort of thing. I've never seen that. But what I have seen a bit is stars making use of the fact that until they're there on set, nothing can happen. Right. So, you know, every keeping people waiting. Yeah, yeah, Basically, yeah. you know, they'll be in their trailer and then everyone's like, everyone's on set and everyone's there and all the extras are there and everything's ready to go. And there's like, can we get so-and-so to the set, please? And then it's like, oh, he's just waiting. You know, sorry, he's... He- it's just going to be another few minutes and then it's like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And, you know, film sets run on every minute is money. Yeah. You know, it's like, and then they sort of wander on set and they're like, right, so what are we doing? And you're like, right, okay. You know, you should sort of know that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, oh, sorry, can I get some sides? Uh, I haven't, yeah, I don't really know these lines. Um, sorry, can we just do a rehearsal? And that kind of, and, no. and you can feel the director. I've seen this happen a few times where the director's like, we've got to fucking do the, you know, we've got to get this moving. Yeah. But because they're the star... They, no one can say that to them. Yeah. So, what happens is that that what happens is they their their sort of um, lack of politeness or whatever or lack of professionalism become you know causes massive amounts of stress for everyone else around them. Yeah. And so, if you're one of the other actors, 
you're you have less time because it's like well we've got to spend all this time on this person so you better just be on it you just better do your stuff and 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 get on with it and yeah, you're not yeah. going to have if you fuck up we're going to be re-angry because <laughs> yeah. you know you, you know we need you to just be on it it reminds me of like in stand-up terms it's exactly like the opening act going on for way longer than they're meant to you know and if the opening act goes on for 20 they do 20 and then they're, they're meant to be doing 20 and they do half an hour and they come off and go, oh, sorry, I, oh, sorry, I didn't start my watch. And yeah, but they were, it was going well, wasn't it? Every, you know, everyone enjoyed it. And you're like, yeah, it was. But now you've sucked energy out of the room a bit. And that yeah. means that by the end of the show, we're going to be 10 minutes late. And that 10 minutes could be crucial. It could be the, the 10 minutes where the audience kind of turns and gets a bit tired and a bit yeah. pissed. And they're thinking about the last train struggle, you know? or the babysitter. Yeah, exactly. And people start leaving and it all. So the, 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 yeah, and then and then you end up feeling... Like, it's not clear that the person who made the mistake is not the person who's going to get blamed. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's that's unfortunately a bit common. So, yeah, the, I think when when you see that happen, that's just a bit sad. But unfortunately, that is the star system. Yeah, you know, if you if you have a star, there was an amazing. I don't know if you ever saw him. Um, did you ever see Screenwipe? Uh, some Charlie of it. Brooker yeah. Show? There's a great bit in one of those. I think it was Screenwipe where he. He did a sort of little sketch, which was like what how how actors turn into prima donnas, right? And it was basically I'll never forget it because it was very clear and very very true to my experience of being on set. Yeah, it's like it's like like day one, someone comes up to you and goes, "Hey, can I get you a cup of tea?" And you go, "Oh no, it's fine. I'll, I'll it's fine. I'll get my I'll get my own. It's fine." And they go, "Are you sure?" And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is it? It's just around the corner. Yeah, it's just like two minutes around the corner. Yeah, fine. I'll get my own. It's like day two. Can I get you a cup of tea? No, it's all right. Don't worry, I'll get it. Yeah. Day three. Can I get a tea? Um, yeah, oh God, actually, yeah, I haven't really got time to. Yeah, yeah, sure. If you, if you could, that'd be amazing. Just like milk, no sugar. But don't worry, but you know, no rush. Day four. Can I get you a cup of tea? Yeah, milk, no sugar. Day five. Can I get you a cup of tea? Um, yeah, actually, and yesterday's tea wasn't great. So could you make it a bit better? You know, day day 10. Where's my cup of tea? Yeah. You know, and it's that, and, and you get sort of habituated into what you expected and you're treated nice people treat you nicely because you're the star and you you know they need you to be on on form yeah but that can very easily then tip into being treated sort of indulgently and they're sort of they're, they're doing too much for you and you start feeling like you're kind of being um waited on and that's not their job you know their yeah, job isn't yeah. to be your sort of servant um but it complete and it's very easy easily done because you know you you might be in a costume you know, it happened. You know, I did a bit of filming on something recently where you're in a costume and, and it's quite muddy, and so they don't want you moving. That they, they want you to stay in the place you you are, yeah. and like stay stay in your trailer. We'll get your cup of tea. We'll go and get your biscuit or whatever. You know, but you feel stupid going. Can I have a biscuit? Because I'm actually a bit hungry because I had breakfast at six a.m. and it's now midday and we're not going to have lunch for another three hours. So yeah, I'd quite yeah. like to. My blood sugar's a bit low, and we're, and we're about to go and do a scene. But you feel like a child going. Can I have a biscuit, please? But. <laughs> But, you know, if you don't say that, then you might be on set thinking, I'm actually now feeling a bit hungry and I don't feel like I'm on form. And I'm meant to be on, you know, this is my only, this is the only time I'm meant to be on form for yeah. <laughs> so this like hour. And then the rest of it is irrelevant, you know. Um, and I think the people who do stuff on set a lot, they get good at knowing when they're meant to be on form, when they're not, you know, like you set, you're you on form when you're on set. Yeah. The rest of it, you can relax and you can do what you need to. Um, yeah, it's a funny it's it's a funny world and the more you do it the more you kind of realize that there's all these little kind of things that you you don't necessarily um understand when you first go on it yeah yeah you can see how that sort of 
that would it just it's it feeds itself doesn't it that that sort of attitude it, uh... well the problem is that if you are a star genuinely a star then you are the most important person in that in that room yeah. and you know it and everyone knows it yeah and there is a there is a there is an aura that happens on a set you know i've seen it happen a lot you know when you they call it you know the number one on the set because on a call sheet it's net it's numbered the actors yeah. are numbered <clears throat> one two three four whatever and i'm normally number 78 or something uh, uh in terms of you know importance on the show yeah and if you're one you know number one two or three you're the, you're the you're the top people in that show and if if that person isn't on form or if they're not concentrating or if then they're, they're, be, they're being a bit of an arsehole then that can transmit itself to the whole set and everyone can be really upset really unhappy you know yeah but if everyone you know if number one two and three are lovely it's a great set everyone's yeah. having a nice time you know yeah that is interesting i mean there's you know there's still there's still people sort of that are that are number one that are still mm. going to be lovely and and uh oh yeah, yeah yeah i mean most most of the i'll be you know be honest most people i meet on set are in that situation are lovely and are really friendly and often go above and beyond you know they they'll talk to all the crew they'll be very friendly to everybody they because they're there a lot longer than you know i often come in and do like one day on something or two days on something and so I can't meet every, you know, I, there's no point in me going around and talking to every single member of the crew because yeah. they'll be like, well, we'd, you're not going to be here tomorrow, so yeah. don't worry about it. Whereas, um, you know, if someone's going to be on a, on a film set for six weeks, then of course they need to get to know everybody because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, be you know, that's, yeah. the, that's their job, you know. But yeah, yeah. The, and uh, But again, it is, it's sort of that funny thing that if you, if you go, if you go on set and you're really chatty with everyone and you're friendly and da, 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 and then you can't actually remember your lines. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Then you, then that's not good either. You know, you don't want someone... Because the crew will be more pissed off with you. <laughs> they, the crew generally would rather you come on, not really worry about talking to people and just do your job. And then they can go, they can all go home on time. Yeah. Than being, than being really friendly and then forgetting your lines. Like you've got, Ideally, you do both. The people who are really, you know, the best do both. Yeah. But um, there's some sort of... Uh, middle ground i think probably yeah yeah i mean i've, I've seen it in uh in, in music as well because i've done a lot of stuff mm. sort of backstage at uh in uh, sort of festivals and that sort of thing and uh and quite often sort of like people get brought into their area in like mm. a sort of vip car and it's it's quite nice because like the higher the higher up you go like the better you get treated as well and that's not necessarily like a sort of hierarchy thing it's just when uh, the sort of lower levels there's so many people that you just can't concentrate that level of time on people but mm. uh like I drove my friend's van to uh, Glastonbury a few mm. years ago, and we got picked up from our van with uh, in a Land Rover and taken to the stage. And it was amazing. Like we're sort mm. of driving through, and then you see other people like dragging their stuff along. And we're like, we'd love to yeah, help yeah, yeah. you, but we've got to be on. It's for the BBC. Like, yeah, we've got, got to go over there. But then you know, like we're all sort of humble people, and like I'm, I wasn't a star anyway. I was just. Uh, setting up mm. but like the the singer from that band is just like a really really humble guy and he'll, he'll help anyone at any time and then like florence mm. from uh, like florence and the machine turned up and uh like florence came over and we know the guy that's playing bass with her and uh and like she came over to us and uh, introduced herself and she's like oh hi i'm florence i was like i, I know who you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, i do that. know that yes yeah that's always a weird moment isn't it when someone's quite fit like i remember that on the set of um on on Fighting Neverland, that Johnny Depp came over and went, "Hi, I'm I'm Johnny." <laughs> like, yes, yes, I'm aware. Yeah. I'm aware. Yes, but oh, that's nice. That's your thing. It's friendly. It's it's that's what you want. You don't want them to come over and be like, "You know who I am," because that's yeah. It's a, it's a weird sort of inhuman thing to do. Yeah, you know, it's not. But it's funny because then you do. You also see people who are on their way up, 
and there were people, you know, like half as famous as Florence, and they're coming in, they're getting shipped in in their car, and then they're coming in, sort of sunglasses on, like focus in, just like I'm not going to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's. But don't you think so much of that comes from insecurity? Oh, probably. Yeah. You know, and it, it mostly. I mean, my experience in general and I'm massively generalizing because there are you know there are definitely exceptions is that in the world of comedy I've been doing it long enough that I've seen people who've got massively famous from yeah. you know I've saw I saw them doing their first open spots and they're now massive and and you know and that kind of thing and actually almost always the real assholes are sort of somewhere in the middle yeah <laughs> the people who are kind of on their way up but they're not quite there yet and yeah. They they feel insecure about it, and if something goes wrong at a gig, they feel sort of like they're responsible, or they or if if they turn up and they've been moved to open rather than headline, they feel like somehow their status has been damaged, yeah. or you know, they 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 will argue about little things and get quite you know upset about stuff. Whereas people that right at the top, they've got nothing to prove anymore. You know, they yeah. are they are they are again. As I say, there are some exceptions. There are some people who are still always uptight, and there are some people who are lovely all the way through. But there's a sort of there is a sort of there's definitely a few people I've seen who kind of maybe as they've just been be- being able to just being able to kind of sell tickets for themselves and stuff have, yeah. have suddenly become a bit tricky have become a bit sort of guarded and a bit difficult yeah. but then actually when they've made it through that period they're back to being lovely again yeah you know? and it's that sort of I think it is it comes from fear I think and insecurity yeah you know nerves because I know some people that you know started a similar time to me slightly before maybe and they're they're now at the point where they are starting to sell their own tickets they're getting some tv stuff and uh but like i I was doing the same open mics as them and like we were sharing cars and all sorts and really good friends and i'm messaging them to come on this and they're like "Mm, i haven't got time or just not responding yeah (laughs) just like we used to talk all this like i've helped you through hard times in your life and yeah 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 and it is uh yeah and and that just happens and some people some people will get through it some people will come back in a couple of years time and be sort of will almost be like, oh, sorry about that. I, yeah, I was being a bit difficult then. And other yeah. people, they're just off. They're in their own world now. Yeah, yeah. It's because it's funny though, stand-up, isn't it? Because it's like, um, I always think it's a bit like school. You know, you have your like your school year. Yes, so it's exactly how that, old yeah. you are, whoever you started out with is sort of your year group. Yeah. And, you know, you'll always have a relationship with them. There'll always be a sort of connection there, yeah. even when they're all off doing other things. And some of them might give up stand-up. Some of them might go off and do other things in the media. You know, you'll sort of still occasionally meet up or, or see each other online or something, and be like, "Oh God, yeah, I remember doing that terrible gig in you know, wherever <laughs> yeah. with you." And there's there's always going to be that kind of connection, which is quite a nice. Yeah, and and similarly, people who started after you, doesn't matter how famous they get, there's always going to be a little part of you going, <laughs> "Yeah, I saw you dying at that gig when you were an open spot." And yeah. I was closing and now you're on TV and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and there's always going to be a little part of you thinking that, even if you know that that's just what happens. It there's is, always a bit uh, of you going, hang on, why are you on? T- I thought, but you, you're the, you're the open spot, you know. Yeah, um, that's funny because that, that happens. Uh, that happens a lot. And uh, my wife calls me bitter regularly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as long as you don't, I think the thing is you're allowed to say it to your wife. I think as long as you don't say it on, on, on the podcast or, yeah, you know, yeah. crucially on Twitter. Uh, yeah, late at night, you know. That's, where that's, things the, get that's the main thing to avoid. Dangerous, yeah. Right, I've got a, uh, I've got a couple of questions that I like to ask. That are uh, some of them tea based, some of them not so much. Right. So, what is because you said you, uh, you generally go for like a decaf tea these days. What, what would be your go to tea? My, de- my, my, my go to would be a decaf English breakfast, twinings probably. Yeah, nice. Something like that, or or their twinings. They've got quite a nice everyday blend which i go for normally yeah um, i also quite like a herbal tea 
yeah. like a peppermint or a chamomile at the end of the day. Oh, lovely. Also, twining. And if I'm so... feeling if I'm feeling fancy, a lapsang souchong. That's my uh, that's my if I'm feeling feeling like I want to feel like I'm back at university. That was something I used to drink in a slightly pretentious way at university. Yeah. Like I'd have like three or four different teas. I had a friend who had loads of teas. Like you know, he properly properly went for the whole. I'm I'm tea guy. You know, yeah. I've got yeah. like twenty teas, and I'll invite a few friends around. We'll we'll all drink tea together in that the way that people do at university. So he got me into some slightly different tea, like oolong and lapsang souchong and things like that. And yeah. lapsang's the one that sort of stuck with me. I've still got some of that. I've never had any of that. that uh, it feels like the sort of thing that I should try. It's nice. It's quite sort of smoky. It's got a sort mm. of, um, again, it's a bit like the tea I just had. It's one that I would have every so often. Yeah. Know, once every so often as a kind of treat. But yeah, it's not, it's not one you drink every day. Yeah. Nice. That one that I just had, the uh, Good and Proper Tea, I should I should mention it, which, uh, how do they describe it? This Kenya-based black tea blend combines the distinctive dark body for which African teas are so well known with rich malty Assam and the fragrant notes of Ceylon. The result is a robust earthy cup, perfect with a dash of milk as a full-bodied breakfast brew. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> That's my review. It's uh, no, it's good. Yeah, it's um, it's. I can't remember what one it is they have in Starbucks. I think it's a, a Tivana, um, mm-hmm. just a black tea. But that's that's really nice. That's a little bit fruity, and that is like a sort of a slightly mild version of that. So it's okay. a, it's a bit more uh, it's a bit more interesting than a uh, like a Yorkshire brew, uh, yeah. which is still quite yeah. You know, it's very nice as a just a standard tea. But uh, yeah, so it's a bit fancier than that, but not quite as sort of floral as the uh, as mm. the Tivana one. But it's, it's very nice, quite a, a mild flavour. I shall have another one later. Sounds good. And I've gone. I've also gone fully non-dairy now with my tea, so oh, I go okay. with like oat milk. Is that um, your go-to which, milk? Yeah, that's my go-to milk, and um, I'm a big fan. I think it works really well, yeah. particularly if you get the barista blend, where, yeah. where it's um, you can. I mean, that's better for coffee because you can then sort of. Um, foam it up and stuff but um but it works really well for tea like okay. all the other all the other sort of non-dairy milks i've tried just don't really work in tea they just they just yeah they're they're rubbish but uh yeah but if you get a good oat milk i think it works i don't i just don't notice the difference anymore oh cool i'm gonna have to uh, i keep telling myself that i'm going to get into it but i've just i've not found one that really feels the gap in, in quite I would the same go, way well the, the easiest one to get is, is that i think is good is the oatly barista blend okay that's the one that I started trying, and it's really yeah, it's really nice. And now I now drink. Um, there's a, a company called Minor Figures, and right. they they're a sort of specialised sort of coffee and stuff brand. And they I discovered during lockdown because I was trying to get all my stuff delivered, you know, rather than uh, going to the shops too much. And um, they deliver milk, so we we now Very have a nice. sort of subscription every month that we get a bunch of milk. We got some today, which is what I was like thinking. a hipster milkman. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the good thing about oat milk, the great thing about it is you don't have to store it in a fridge. Yes. So you can get like a month's supply all at once. Because that was the thing at the beginning of lockdown. I was quite pleased that I wasn't drinking normal milk anymore because it was so annoying tr- trying to get yeah. going to the shops and all that kind of stuff. It was quite nice to be like, I'll just buy a month's worth of milk and not worry about oh, it. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, nice. And that was, uh, I'll, I'm going to write that down. In fact, I'll listen to it back and then I'll write it down. <laughs> do, do, you, do you dunk a biscuit? Uh, I'll dunk a biscuit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, what's your go-to biscuit? Um, good question. I don't really. Ha- we don't really have biscuits in the house at the moment. I mostly. I'm more of into, into sort of like I've been. I've been on a bit of a health kick during lockdown to try and uh, you know 
stay healthy and all that stuff. So I've been more eating sort of fruit and cereal bars and nuts and stuff. But if, if in the olden days, I'm quite I'm quite basic. I'd go for a digestive or a rich tea, something like that. Yeah, that nice. would be my. I'm, I think if I think if I'm dealing with a something to dip in a tea, or if I was feeling fancy, maybe a chocolate Oh yeah, lovely. One of those, something like that. That you know, you get a little bit and a little bit of the chocolate goes in the tea, and you get a slightly sweeter tea. That's always yeah. a that's always a fun thing. Great. Have you ever drunk a cup of tea through a, a penguin? <laughs> Not fully, no. But I've definitely dunked a penguin and then got half of it in the tea, yeah. which is an experience. Because uh, I can't remember who it was. I think I think it may have been Jos Norris uh, suggested that I. I, I do that, and I was drinking a, a mint tea, and I had mint penguins in the fridge. So, like, wow. I, just, I did that, and uh, it is delightful because once you've drunk it, like, you suck the tea through the the penguin, and it just pop the penguin in your mouth, and the whole thing just melts. Amazing! Yeah, it's incredible. I fully recommend. It. You got by each corner off of the penguin, obviously. Otherwise, you just yeah, just doesn't nothing happens. No, yeah, <laughs> just sucking a penguin uh, <laughs> like a maniac. That is pretty much the end of the tea-based questions. Uh, but okay. there are a couple more questions that I also like to ask. Sure. And I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this one because... Uh, so this question is, what is the worst way you've ever been introduced to stage? Because people get my surname wrong quite a lot. Like I get Davies and Divas and that sort of thing. Uh, I once got introduced to stage, which was the worst way. Well, it wasn't because there was a... I won't get into it. I've told the story before. But I once got introduced as C. Diabes. Uh, which uh, which is yeah, fortunate because that that became the start of my first show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was very wrong. What's the what's the worst way? Because you've got a, a a simple name to get right. Uh, so I can't I imagine anyone's ever got that wrong. Yeah, I have. No, people have got it wrong. I'll tell you, I've got I think three that I can think of. First one was when I was quite a new act. I remember, and and I was doing open spots. I was doing an open spot at Jonglers, which was a notoriously tricky gig. And the compare was not a friend of mine and not someone I knew. And he, my, at the time, my opening set, and I was only doing five minutes probably even. I'm not even sure I was doing 10. I think it might have been just a five. Very much the opening bit of my set was all about how young I looked at the time. Still look fairly young, but at the time I was very young looking. And I had a whole bit of material about that and what it was like to be young looking and how that made me feel and how other people reacted to me and all that kind of stuff. It was all pretty, you know, pretty standard but it worked pretty well and I was quite pleased with it and he went on and said something like all right this this young lad he's starting out he's very new he's very young so don't worry about what he looks like he isn't as young as he looks <laughs> and just basically he oh, didn't he, no. it wasn't like he did my material but he just wrecked the material yeah, just yeah, meant yeah. that I couldn't do it and I hadn't you know I was quite new and I didn't really have any other material at the time that I was like really confident in for that that sort of gig and I just remember going on and having a not a very nice time because oh, they no. the audience I sort of still sort of did the material and tried to kind of and that was horrible so that's 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 a an excellent way to sabotage an act is by oh yeah to, to basically doing their their first joke before they go on you know I've seen that happen a few times by mis- I've I think I've maybe even done it to someone by mistake once you know I think we've all been guilty of it to some extent yeah it can be you know it can just you know sometimes it's not your fault you know but sometimes you don't realise that they've deliberately worn a weird T-shirt because yeah. it was a joke or something, and you go, "I love this guy's T-shirt, please." Wear, you know, and you, and then <laughs> they're like, oh, "Don't say that because now I can't really talk about this." Or yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes people introduce me by going, "Oh, you've probably seen this guy on TV," which is weird because they might have done, but it would have been in an advert or yeah, maybe in a sitcom ten years ago, or 
you know, like it's not like I'm not on mock of the week all the time or whatever. So it's just a weird thing to deal with because then the audience are like, what, why? Yeah. Why would you have seen what MCV? We, and I have what to say, you in. Yeah, and then I have to sort of either really address it or just ignore it, and that's odd. I remember getting one. The, the worst one I can remember recently was maybe a couple of years back, where I did a gig up in Sheffield, and um, I'm actually from Wakefield, so not that far from okay. Sheffield. Although I don't sound like it, but I, I am. And I went on, and the and the, the compare. It was quite. A, they were quite a tricky crowd. There was a big golf. There was a big load of golf people in. Like they all worked at. A, they all were golf buddies, and they were loads of blokes, and they were quite hard work, and they were being quite heckly and a bit annoying throughout the show and chatting and you know classic and the compo was not having a great gig and was finding i think was finding it a bit annoying and not sort of having the best time yeah and so just before he introduced me he just he kind of he got quite i don't know i can't, I can't remember exactly what happened but he got quite aggressive with the crowd or something and, and it all it all went a bit weird and then he went anyway oh, this lad's is is up from york he's up from london he's all the way he's come all the way up from fucking london to see you all the way from london uh please milk you know don't don't worry about the fact that he's from london but he is from london so don't you know just kept going on about the fact that and, and was like so you know i'm sure he, i'm sure it'll be fine but you know obviously you know don't uh, it just kind of he really really undersell sold me <laughs> yeah. kind of like and also and also as you know if you if you're not in london if someone goes you're from london that immediately makes people go no oh, he's from london you know, yeah and, yeah uh, and um anyway i hope he does all right but i've never seen him i don't know what he's like so, and it was just kind of and i actually had to go on and go uh ladies and gentlemen that is the worst intro i've ever <laughs> like it was really like and that luck in a funny sort of way it became quite a good introduction because it sort of broke the ice because yeah i was like i mean there's no way i could have had a worse introduction but that is terrible you know it's and funny. actually funnily enough that made made the gig kind of easier so in a sun in a funny sort of way it kind of helps but yeah i have i have been introduced uh, by the wrong name i remember it's happened a couple of times but one time it really uh, didn't help was it a gig someone uh, i've been introduced as matt smith a few times Amazing. And I got introduced to him when when Doctor Who was on, and he was Doctor Who, and it was all very Great. exciting. And this crowd went mental, yeah, because they thought it was Matt Smith, and they were like, "Please talk on the stage, Matt Smith." And it was like a whoa, and I sort of had to sort of walk on, going, "It's not, I'm not Matt Smith, sorry." Yeah. And the problem is, as you know, the problem is when you get introduced like that, they don't blame the compare, they blame you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The audience sort of blame you for not being who's been introduced, you know, even though that was never going to happen. Yeah, and sort of. It was a, yeah, I remember that being weird. That reminds me of the worst intro I've ever seen oh. of an act in this sort of way. I mean, I've seen loads of terrible intros over the, over the years. Those intros where they're like, keep the applause going just as the applause dies down. Yeah. It's always the worst one. Um, all that kind of thing. But um, the worst one I can remember was uh, I, did the, I did a gig quite a long time ago um, at a really big venue at the um, Hackney Empire. Because I was in the uh, the final of the Hackney Empire New Act of oh, okay. the Year Awards, all those God, long time ago, twenty gosh, two thousand and five, I think it was maybe, and uh, I got to the final. I actually came second, which was quite exciting. Oh, nice. And the people who came one, two, three, four were invited back to do a sort of showcase. Right. Plus, there were a couple of other acts on as like a professional compare and a professional opener and a closer, and we were sort of in the middle. And it was fun. It was a bit weird because the final was full, which is amazing, like nearly 2,000 people. It was like, oh, my God, this is like the biggest gig I've ever played and pretty yeah. much still the biggest gig I've played with only a couple of exceptions, I think. So, and that was, you know, but then we, we came back and it wasn't very full. It was maybe a third full or maybe even less. And yeah. So it was a bit of a come down, but it was fine. The compare was in a bit of a funny mood. And the final, the, the headliner was 
like a decent circuit act. It was like someone who's really good. He'd done a bit of TV. He was sort of someone who was just, you know, on the way up. Yeah. But not like a massive star. But he had, you know, he'd been billed and everything. But the, the compare at the end of the show came on and went, all right, everybody, just want to say, you know, it's been great to have you here. And it's very exciting. We've actually got a special guest star as the final act tonight. I can't believe it. It's really exciting. You're in for a real treat. It's Eddie Izzard. And the place went ballistic. Yeah. And then she went, uh, I'm only joking. It's not. It's not. That's a joke. It's, no. it's this guy. And I felt so sorry for the headline because he had to come on and was like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> like, there was no, there was no like joke. There was no like clever twist to it. She yeah. just introduced someone who wasn't there. <laughs> you know, all you can do is and, come um, on and say sorry. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not Eddie. I never was Eddie as oh, no. like he was never booked. So I don't know why. It wasn't like you know we've all had those gigs where the headliner hasn't turned up or there's been a booking problem or whatever you know, and those are nightmares in different ways. But this was just a joke. Yeah, <laughs> that was just like a. A mad joke, <laughs> just like oh, this God. person isn't isn't on. Yeah, you know that person that you yeah. want to see, not them, <laughs> not them. Yeah, not them. Oh, so no. um, yeah, that was really funny. I remember seeing that from backstage, thinking, "Wow." <laughs> I mean, and to be fair to the closer, he did very well because he he was very good. Yeah, but it was like, yeah, there was definitely a minute or two at the beginning where I was like, "This could turn." <laughs> That's funny. I mean, it's it's horrendous, but that is funny. Uh, speaking of speaking of you being introduced as uh, having people seeing you on TV, because and this is something that I always forget until I see you in it, which I rewatch often because I love the show, and then I forgot that you were in it until I just read it on IMDb. Is uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Oh yeah, yeah, because that's quite a small part, right? If I remember rightly, you were a shocked chef. Is that I right? was a chef, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm one of the Scotchmen. As well, yeah, nice from the uh, from the mist, Scotch mist. Yes. Yeah, lovely. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was a great thing to be involved in. I was sort of I was friends with Rich Daiwadi at university, and oh, cool. I knew Matt Holness a bit through him and and stuff. So when they started doing the show, like if a lot of the people in that show were sort of friends or people they knew from the circuit, and yeah, so it was quite a quite a lot of mates and stuff because it was a funny show you know people didn't really know quite how it was going to be and they needed I think they really wanted people who sort of understood the idea of it being a sort of a, like a deliberately bad show yeah, you know, yeah. Like deliberately bad acting and all that. it's quite a hard thing to explain to people so I think they they deliberately used a lot of kind of comedy people who they knew and yeah you know, could sort of get it it's almost like um, a parody of a spoof of a spoof yeah and the thing is I loved their their live shows because I saw their live shows yeah. um, in Edinburgh and 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 afterwards and um, they were just amazing. They're both both of their shows were both were so good, so clever, and really funny and silly and exactly the kind of show I loved doing at the time. The kind of play with you know show within a show and, yeah. and characters who sort of came out of character and sort of looked at the audience and and I think that sort of sort of very clowny very aware of breaking the fourth wall and yeah and being very aware of the audience thing i do i think garth Marenghi with dark place found a way of doing that that i don't think anyone else really has found since like yeah because of the because of the very clever frame of this is this is an old shit show <laughs> that was made deliberately that was made by garth Marenghi and edited by garth Marenghi and directed by his you know, mate, Dean Lerner, like this, this, the idea that this is some sort of like bubble where there is no quality control 
and got, and Channel Four have sort of found the the tapes and have got them to comment on it. Yeah, it means that you can do that thing of like half of it is deliberately bad and the other half is commenting on that. Yeah, whilst still retaining the logic of it because I think the problem with that is I, there were so many shows around that time, particularly TV shows, where they tried to do a thing of like it's sort of like a bit anything can happen and oh there there's the audience and. We'll sort of throw to the audience occasionally. And oh, there's a mistake, and but it never quite. I felt like it often didn't really work because there was always the logic problem of like, but why hasn't the editor cut this out? Yeah, you know why? Why? Why isn't there a producer going? But this isn't good. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like t- as soon as you put something on TV, there's an expectation of quality and there's an expectation of this. You've done it right, and if you do it wrong, just do it again. Because that's the whole thing about theatre, of course. You know, anything on stage, the joy of it is it's happening in front of you yeah, so if it goes yeah. you know wrong in inverted commas then you know you know that that's happening right now and they, yeah. they they can't change it you know and and that's why those sort of shows like the play that goes wrong and things like that are so fun because there's a sort of game of like oh what's going to happen next yeah and how are they going to deal with it and that was what you know garth Marenghi did that really well and i think the tv show they they managed to find that sort of tone which worked so well which is why i think it's really lasted yeah, that you can still watch it. It's such a, it's a sort of weirdly, kind of, it's in in some ways it's so dated. It's not dated. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's future proof. It's because because it, they shot it and they shot it in a really specific way. You know, they they shot it on the original cameras. Oh, really? That you'd have used in the eighties or whenever it was. So like it was it was shot on film, um, on those cameras in those. So like they yeah they spent a lot of time and effort and I think quite it was quite quite a. I think it was quite a big budget for that kind of show. Oh, really? Because they had to spend quite a lot of time and, and money on it to get it to look right. But I think that it really works. Like oh, it really it's kind of incredible. Yeah, I still I still think about it all the time. There are lines from that that just have become part of my vocabulary. Yeah, like whenever whenever I have something goes well, like that line that Alice has of like, uh, I went to I went to Oxbridge College, Harvard. I aced every semester and got an A. Yeah. It's, I just love that kind of stuff. It's amazing. There's uh, so a, a line that I say from it all the time, which is, uh, she's like a candle in the wind, unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, so it's good. good. It's really good. You can just quote it. There are just so many, you know, there are so many great uh, little moments from it. Yeah. That, um, like, that um, I, yeah. Because you, you said the word buddies earlier and my brain immediately just said, uh, you and he were buddies, weren't you? Which is just, oh, yeah, yeah. Such, if you haven't the, seen those that, original. There's early, you know, the original sort of um, <laughs> blood, blood, <laughs> blood, 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 and shit and piss and vomit. <laughs> yeah. bits maggots, of maggots, 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 maggots. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing about it? his arm? Uh, as he woke up, his arm fell off. And all this <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah, he's he's endlessly quotable. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Fun. Nice. Right. Uh, I'm just going to end with uh, one last question, which has recently mm-hmm. become my my favourite of the questions that I have uh, ever asked, <laughs> which is, if you were going to get the tattoo of huh. a barcode of any product, what would it be? Wow. Gosh, that's a good, weird question. It's oddly good, so, isn't it? So I would... Okay. So if I scanned it, it would reveal something about my personality, that this, this yeah. is my personality. Or it, or it could just be something that you quite like. Or it could be something I quite like. That yeah. I like, yeah, something that you get all like the time. Like a QR code. Uh, that is, a, yeah, I uh, product. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I don't know, really. I don't think what I buy a lot of or what I 
Because if because you wouldn't want it to be technological because it would go out of date very quickly. Because yeah. if it was like an iPhone, you'd immediately like within within a couple of years, you'd just have like a really dated bit of kit that you would never actually use. Yeah, that's a good question. What do I like that I want to? <laughs> what do I get? I mean, I think I might go dick move and be like, it might be like oat milk, yeah, or something in that kind of. You know, I'm a I'm not a vegan, but I kind of have pretensions in that direction sometimes. <laughs> so maybe in that sort of you know, it'd be quite a hey, be you, quite a you good tattoo to, to have to sort of uni? impress somebody. Like, yeah, I'm I'm non dairy. I'm certainly non dairy. Yeah, I think I'd go with that. Nice, I like it. Right, where can people find you online? All over the bloody place. Um, I'm, I'm I've got loads of online, but it's all it's all under the brand Matt Green Comedy. So macgreencomedy.com is my website and i'm uh, on youtube at macgreencomedy twitter facebook instagram tiktok started doing tiktok recently i yeah. uh, put videos on there as well sometimes and uh, but yeah i would say i would say youtube and twitter are the two places that i am most sort of invested in the others nice. I, do, I do use the others as well but those are the two places that i i put a lot of stuff yeah up. they're the ones to check you out on yeah definitely lovely and i'm doing i mean i'll be doing lots of gigs and stuff. i don't know when this goes out but i've got you know, I've got live shows and, and things happening. So yeah. yeah, do come along. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, do you come and come and just watch my videos, see what you think? Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on, man. It's no been, worries. Thanks. Really thanks for having me. Nice to chat. Good to see you, man. Well, thanks, man. Thanks see you that. later. No see worries. Soon. Uh, have a good have a good week. Yes, you too. Bye. Take care. Bye. So that was Matt Green. As he mentioned, you can find him he's, he's basically on everything as at Matt Green Comedy or just mattgreencomedy.com. Those are the main links. It's good. It's easy. And I uh, unplug in my link tree, just uh, linktr.ee, linktree, the dot, before the e's, forward slash sideeves. Go and find all the links. It's links from my Leicester show, links from my website, and all the socials, and all that sort of thing, and all the podcasts and that. It's good. Send people there. Also, there's a lovely link to my Kofi page, which you can go to if you've enjoyed the show, and you want to help keep the podcast running, then go over to there and donate some money because it is always greatly received. So I've got another couple of shows coming up. I've got one releasing on, well, just before Christmas. It's going to be a Christmas episode, which I'm yet to record, but that is absolutely going to happen. And the guest that I've got lined up is really funny and lovely. So I look forward to you hearing that in the new year. If you live near Southend, even if you don't, you just want to come and see my show. I'm going to be doing a preview of it in Southend, the date for which is not yet set. Currently waiting to confirm that, but it will be a Thursday in January at the Shoebury Hotel. As long as that comes off, it should do. But that's going to be really, really fun. And uh, and you'll see that just before I go to Leicester and win a load of awards, because I think it's pretty good. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's got to be confident, right? Listen, thanks very much for listening. I love you guys. If you don't listen to the next episode, then have a lovely festive period. And if you do listen to the next one, thanks very much for listening. Regardless, be good to each other. Tell everyone you love them. Unless you don't. Tell the tell people you love, you love them. I'm tired. I love you. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>